Shomai, everybody, and welcome back to the airwaves as you join me, David Morse, your host of the Life to the Full podcast, which is the podcast that helps you to make the most of your time here on Earth. In season two, we are focusing on financial health. In the first episode of the season, we encountered this life-altering paradigm that we are all playing the money game, whether we realize it or not. If you don't realize you're playing, or you don't know the rules of the game and how to win, then you may find yourself on the not-so-healthy end of the scale when it comes to your financial health. In episode 2, we looked at some of the obvious and not-so-obvious rules of the money game, and how you can win at the money game. My biggest takeaway from the last episode was to use money to buy freedom for yourself and your family. I mentioned the three self-evident rules. Number one, earn more than you spend. Number two, use your money to buy freedom. Number three, don't go broke. There were some other not-so-obvious ones which really make all the difference when it comes to financial health, rather than just winning the money game. So if you haven't listened to that already, then download that and listen to that straight after this one. In today's episode, episode number three of the season, I want to take a deeper dive into the rule number one, earn more than you spend. And in this episode, we'll look at both sides of the equation, why we should spend less and why we have a responsibility to earn more. I hope you're enjoying your run or your washing up or your cup of tea. I really am blessed if that's you. And I hope that you can take some value from it and take steps towards actually spending less or earning more. A special Guten Tag to all my German listeners. We live in a consumerist world where economic growth is valued higher than almost any other metric. GDP growth is the one thing that we're all focusing on on a national level. We want people to get out there and spend money, buy stuff, boost our nation's prospects. Endless growth seems to be the predominant thinking of our governments, certainly in the West. One of the fortunate things about being a free-willed individual is the choice to choose to reject that if you want to. In your own life, you don't have to be on a treadmill of consumer spending or trying to keep up with the Joneses, of a constant dissatisfaction with your current level of financial health. You can choose to moderate your spending. You can have the freedom to release yourselves from the shackles of comparison you get to decide how far down the path to financial health you want to go. Spending less is one of the easiest ways to celebrate your freedom and you can use spending less as a message, a reminder, if you will, to yourself of your freedom to choose. Spending less is likely the first thing you should consider when it comes to winning the money game. The most important number in your journey towards financial health is the difference between your income and your outgoings. I call it the gap. As long as you're not in the decumulation phase of your life, when you've finished saving and you're on the road of spending down your wealth, then maximizing the size of the gap is your number one financial aim, the number one key to getting ahead financially. There are countless videos on YouTube and endless posts on Instagram on how to save money, things not to buy, things not to spend money on, I'm sure there's some value in most of these things. They can inspire you. They can give you ideas that you may not have thought of before. But the one thing that those things can't do is be personal to you. I want to go down a different track for you today and do it more from the philosophical angle. 
I also want to encourage you to think where you can save money. What works for me may not work for you, and what works for you may not work for me. So take some time to think about that later today. How can you grow the gap? If you want to spend less money, then it helps to pay attention to what you're spending money on and how much you are spending. I'm not a believer in the school of thought that you need to know exactly where every penny goes, but I do look through my monthly spending and see if there's anything there that shouldn't be there or I think is too high. You do need some idea of what you're currently spending your money on. Many personal finance gurus will tell you that you must make a budget. You need to know where every pound or dollar or euro is going. And that can certainly be valuable for some people. It may be valuable for you. If you find that helpful, then go for it. In fact, it's not just the gurus that will say that. There are plenty of people for whom tracking their spending and making sure they came within a budget every month has transformed their financial lives. They say it was the first step on a journey towards a life of financial success. If you're not sure it'll work for you, try it for a few months. Look at everything you earn, write down everything you spend in a spreadsheet or a notebook, and assign different amounts to different categories and make sure you stick within these parameters. You'll only know if it's right for you if you try it. Personally, I've never had a budget. I can't think of anything more stress-inducing than thinking of the details of every pound or dollar or euro. I'm a big picture kind of guy, and the details just bore me to tears. I can handle detailed budgets if I'm absolutely required to, and I have the time to do so, but it just drains me mentally. The thought of having to balance a budget is enough to make me want to hire someone to do it for me. So what's the answer for you if you also fall into this camp? Let me share how I cope with a lack of desire to get bogged down in the details. I decide in advance each month how much of my money I'm going to give away and how much I'm going to save and invest. And the rest is up for grabs. It can be spent on whatever I need and want. It's that simple. As long as you prioritise your giving and your investing before your monthly expenditure and your discretionary spending, you're good to go. You know you're on the right path, so you don't need to spend time and energy optimising absolutely every penny. But you do need to do this if you're not going to have a budget. Please don't make the mistake of thinking, I don't need a budget without a different system in place to ensure that you can hit your saving and investing objectives and you can buy that freedom that you desire. You can't not have your cake and not eat it. One thing you could try and do is make cutting spending into a game. There's a reason why the computer game industry is a $2 billion industry. People like playing games. Playing games are fun. But instead of playing a video game, why not make saving money into a game? When you're in the supermarket, if you still go, Try to buy the item that is cheapest per unit of weight or volume. I had to try and teach this concept to children at school. 750 grams of pasta cost £1.60. A kilo costs £2, which is the better deal. I was always amazed at the number of folk that would choose the 750 grams because it costs less. £1.60 is less than £2. But if you go for the one that costs less in terms of pound cost, then you'll be buying pasta more often, so you end up paying more. 
Now, this isn't a lot, and it won't make a big difference in this example in one week over one product, but over lots of products, over lots of weeks, this can add up to a reasonable chunk of change. You could challenge yourself to spend less on a chosen category every month. Say I'm going to spend less on alcohol next month, or I'm going to spend less on online shopping next month. You could try and get a streak of no-spend days. Could you go a week or two weeks without spending anything? Start asking the question, how could I do this? Instead of just rejecting the idea because it's too ridiculous. How could I go two weeks without spending anything? There's a Swedish proverb that says, He who buys what he does not need steals from himself. If you can take this to heart and think every time you don't buy something you don't need, you're actually buying future freedom for yourself. This is a game-changing mindset shift. One massive benefit of not buying a load of stuff is that the mental freedom that comes from not having to maintain things. It also means you don't have to spend even more money maintaining things. Let me give you an example of how owning stuff takes up mental space. I have a bike. I use the bike a lot. I used to commute to work on it back when I was a teacher. I use it as my main mode of transport for anything closer than about five miles. If I need to go to town, I do it on my bike. When I go to church, I go on my bike. Visiting friends, bike. I use it for exercise. I love the freedom of possibility that comes from getting on a bike. I love getting on my bike and imagining where I could get to if I just kept going. I use it to go riding with my friends and have a nice chat when we're out and about. Heck, I even used my bike when I did Ironman Wales. I love my bike. What I don't love is maintaining my bike. The thought of cleaning it after every ride and remembering to change the chain every 2,000 miles is to me so annoying. It's the kind of thing that takes up mental bandwidth, or in my case doesn't take up mental bandwidth and ends up costing me money. If I remembered to clean my bike and drive chain regularly and changed my chain when I was supposed to, then a new chain would cost me about 16 to 20 quid. Instead, what happens is I don't bother cleaning it and I don't replace it when it needs to be replaced. And then I have to change the entire drive chain because the worn chain wears down all the other parts and it ends up costing me more like 250 bucks. This is a laziness tax that I have to pay. All because I don't want the mental cost of having to keep on top of things. And that's just one thing. The more of these things you have in your life, the more mental bandwidth it takes up and more it costs to maintain things. In the case of my bike, I could argue that the £250 is a cost, but it's kind of worth it because I get so much use and value out of my bike. But imagine I didn't get all that use and value. What if I just kept it in the damp garage and it rusted, and I still kept paying to maintain it? Definitely no longer worth it. What have you got in your life that's taking up mental energy and finances to look after? You can use this lens to evaluate future purchases as well. Don't just be thinking, what is this costing me now? But what is this likely to cost me in the future too? Both in monetary terms and emotional energy. Earn more money. As I mentioned last time, once you've reached your limit in terms of spending less, you need to focus your energies on earning more if you want to grow the gap and start buying more freedom for yourself. 
heck, even if you haven't reached your limits in terms of spending less, then you've got the potential to make far bigger gains by earning more than you've got from cutting your spending. Cutting your spending is like in rugby when you're trying to grind out to make a few extra metres of progress. There's effort, there's sacrifice, and in the end, the results are limited. Whereas earning more is like winning the kicking battle. You can make so much more progress by kicking the ball downfield, winning that tactical battle. There's only so much you can cut from your spending. Even if you're paying zero in outgoings, you're not going to make any progress unless you're earning more. Your earning ability has the potential to be much, much more than you could possibly cut from your monthly spending. I hesitate to say there's an unlimited upside, but it's kind of true. In theory, there is no limit to how much you can earn, and even if there was, it's much higher than you can imagine. When you earn more, it can accelerate your timeline to winning the money game. When you earn more, you have more responsibility, so you have to grow as a person to be responsible for stewarding your resources more diligently. When you earn more, you have more capacity to give and bless others. I believe, and I'm trying to act on this belief, that we should earn more in order to be more generous. There are essentially three ways to earn more money. They start with the simplest and quickest and progress to require more effort up front but have a much better long-term prospects. The simplest way to earn more money is just work more of your job. If you work in a job that offers overtime or extra shifts, then this is very easy to do. If you work at a cash and carry or a supermarket or restaurant or anything where you can work more hours, then that will be the simplest way of earning more money. Even if you have a job where overtime is not readily available or you can't just pick up extra shifts, then you could try and think of other ways you can offer your skills outside of your day job. If you're a teacher, you could consider tutoring or exam marking as a way of increasing your earning. If you're a sales rep, could you do some motivational speaking to earn some extra money? If you think you can't do more at your job or you think that you couldn't do anything else with your skills outside of your work, then you could always go and get another part-time job doing something. I don't know what it's like where you are at the moment, but in the city where I live, you can walk around and see staff-wanted signs everywhere. Employers are looking for people to work. You could get a part-time job as a delivery driver, go and work at a cafe, go and be a removal man or woman. This is the quickest way to start earning more immediately. If I was in need of extra cash because I'd lost all my income and I had, to do, I had to do it to feed my family, I would do it. But before you go up and sign yourself as a delivery driver for Uber, I want you to consider the following. Firstly, there is a limit, again, to how much you can earn doing this. If you're already working 40 hours a week, then realistically you might not be able to work more than a couple of hours a night, and this quickly becomes unsustainable. Unless you're working overtime at a particularly well-paid job, it won't be the most efficient way of doing things. So there's option two. Increase your hourly wage. Instead of increasing the number of hours you work, you can increase the amount you get paid per hour, and you don't have to work the extra hours to get the same compensation. For example, if you work 40 hours a week earning £10 per hour, you could work an extra 20 hours to get your total to £600. Or, if you could find something to do that paid £15 per hour, then you could get the £600 without the extra time. 
Now, if it was that easy to just increase your hourly rate by 50%, then surely everybody would be doing that. Increasing your hourly rate is going to involve becoming more skilled in the workforce. You'll need to be able to do something that somebody is willing to pay more money for. The reason that low-paying jobs are low-paid is because a lot of people can do the work. The reason some jobs are more highly paid than others is because they require a certain level of skill in order to do them. So one way to increase your earning capacity is to develop highly paid skills, or at least higher paying skills than you currently have. I recently paid to have a haircut, which I don't normally do. I'm blessed to have a wonderful wife who normally cuts my hair. But I did pay to have my hair cut by a trainee hairdresser. And as is the way when you have your hair cut, you start chatting, and I found out that this chap worked in a supermarket and wanted to develop a skill which was more highly paying, and he was taking action to improve his life in some way, becoming a hairdresser. I, I keep saying hairdresser, but, you know, barber, you know, barber. This is something that would bring him more satisfaction in life, and I was impressed at the sacrifice that this chap was willing to make in order to earn more and improve his financial situation, and as a byproduct, his sense of life satisfaction as well. He had to train for three hours every night for about 18 weeks in order to get the experience and the skills and the training required to become a barber. Here was a young chap who would probably increase his income by 50% per hour by becoming more valuable in the work marketplace. It's quite possible that he could have gone from earning £10 an hour to earning £15 an hour. Over the course of a month, that's a significant increase in wages. And this, of course, works at any income level. It's possible to develop skills and create value in the work marketplace, even if you already command a high salary or a high hourly wage. Even if you're a doctor, you can command a higher hourly wage if you become more skilled or more specialised in a particular area. And this, of course, will require an investment of time and effort. And the payoff for this time and effort spent won't necessarily be immediate. This chap who cut my hair had to train for 18 weeks in order to command the higher salary that he wanted and the better quality of work life. A doctor may have to go through years of specialised training in order to command an extremely high salary in the long term. Despite that extra time and effort, this second option of increasing your hourly rate is much more preferable than simply working more hours. It's much more sustainable in the long term this chap who worked at the supermarket would have earned an extra £2,700 if he would have worked extra hours over those 18 weeks instead of training. But it would only have taken him 68 days of working at his higher rate of pay to earn back that £2,700 on top of his normal salary. Of course, it is possible to do both of these things. Do more hours and get paid more per hour. I was talking to a doctor friend of mine recently and she said that some of the on-call consultants or the locum consultants could earn £150 per hour and they were also able to decide when they wanted extra work. They could just do an extra shift whenever they felt like it. So these doctors that have taken the time to train and qualify can simply turn on the income stream whenever they want. They can say, yes, I will work one extra 12-hour shift this week and they will earn £1,800 for that one day's work because they've spent time investing in their career. There is a third option for increasing your income, 
which is to make your income independent of the hours that you work. This is potentially far more rewarding and lucrative financially, but is certainly the hardest work of all three options. You might be asking the question, how can I make my income independent of the hours that I work? One option is to start a business. I am well aware that starting a business is very hard work. It is extremely difficult. You need to put in a lot of hours, and early on in the business, you may not see a lot by way of income. And in fact, even if you start a business, it is often the case that you will spend many more hours working on the business than if you were simply to have a job. But what a business has the potential to do is earn you money when you're no longer directly working in the business. You may be able to use the skills that you have in your job in order to start a business. I have a friend who is a midwife, and she saw a need in the market for support for mothers in a particular niche. And she set up her own business on the side to serve these mothers and babies, and she can charge a lot more than her normal rate as a midwife to provide services for these mothers who need her expertise and are willing to pay for it. And now, as her business grows, she's able to employ somebody else to deliver some of the training as well, thus further stepping away from the actual working in the business. There are so many potential stories of businesses that have started up, but another one close to me was when my wife and I first moved back to Wales. My wife got a job at a tea house, and the owner of the tea house worked extremely hard. He was there every day, keeping an eye on things, making sure everything was running smoothly. He hardly took any days off. But as the business started to become more profitable, he was able to hire someone else to do the day-to-day managing of the tea house. And he was earning an income despite not being there and not working in the business himself. And as the tea house became more profitable, he opened up at a different location. And then he had two tea houses bringing in an income, which he wasn't directly working on. He was simply overseeing and managing. And that became more profitable. And he was able to open up another location and another location until I think at the moment he has five locations, and each one became easier and easier. He didn't have to work in any of the tea houses apart from the first one. So here we have an example of building a business which took a lot of work and a lot of effort, and not a lot of pay early on, but over the course of five, six, seven years, has enabled him to enjoy the lifestyle that he wants to enjoy without having to work for an hourly rate. I mentioned last time that one way you can earn money which is not tied to the amount of hours that you work is to buy stuff that brings in an income. For me, one of the key ways I've been able to pursue the creative lifestyle that I'm living now is because I bought property which I rent out that supplements my other income. Buying property is one way to get an income which is not linked to the hours that you work. Another way of doing this is to buy dividend stocks. These are stocks, which is part ownership of companies, which pay you for owning them. The company pays out some of the profits to the shareholders as a reward for owning the stock. My dividend income is significantly smaller than the income I get from property, but nevertheless it is income that I receive without having to put in hours of work to earn. I simply buy stocks in various dividend-paying companies, and they pay a dividend. You really do need a lot of money to get enough stocks to pay you a decent salary. But like I said last time, it's a journey. And so my dividend income may not be very large at the moment. But if I continue to use the money that I have to buy freedom for future me, 
the dividend income will increase and compound interest will do its thing over time as well. One niche that I'm keen to explore over the next few months is developing digital products. These are products that you create once and can sell over and over again. I've seen examples of people creating digital products of all sorts of descriptions. I've seen digital products which are essentially saving targets. They are a PDF which have a savings target of, say, £1,000, and you colour in a square for every £100 you save. So once you save 10 squares, you colour them in and you have completed your goal. So that's a digital product which I've seen for sale. I've seen budgeting spreadsheets for sale. I've seen entire courses for sale. These can be audio courses or video courses or anything. And they have the potential to be lucrative, to be not linked to the hours worked. It might take you an hour or so to make a PDF of a savings planner. And if you sell a thousand copies at 50p each, then that's £500 for that one piece of effort, putting in the work in the first place. Try to find ways to leverage your skills, which means you can get paid over and over for the same work. So there we have it. Spend less, earn more. I hope that today has provided you with some inspiration, and I want you to ride that inspiration wave and decide how and what you're going to implement from this episode. How are you going to cut your spending? How are you going to increase your income? What are you going to do? How are you going to take action? Next time on the Life to the Full podcast, we are going to dive into rule number two, which is use your money to buy freedom. Tune in if you want to know more about how I have bought freedom in my life and some ideas for you too. If you've enjoyed this season of the podcast so far, then I'd love it if you could share the podcast with a friend. It really is the number one way you can support me and help the show grow. Also, if you want to leave a review in your app of choice, then that would be lovely. Thank you very much, and thank you for having me. See you next time. Peace out.